you're listening to Precarious Parenting. Now today I'm talking to Vicky about her experience of being fostered at the age of nine. She was taken in by her aunt and uncle following the sudden and tragic death of her mother. Vicky and I had a really insightful and thought-provoking conversation and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Hi Vicky, good to have you here. Hi Marie, nice to be here. So Vicky, tell me about your life at the moment. How, where do you live? Describe what's going on for you at the moment. Yeah, well, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm a northerner. Um, I'm a very proud civil servant, even prouder cat mum to two rescues, and I live with my partner up north. I do um, a couple of other things outside work. I'm involved with uh, my mental health rocks um, and also the coaching community as well. But I do really, I'm, I'm really passionate about working with people. Um, and, and especially vulnerable people as well. I really believe everyone deserves deserves to have a voice. So you're busy at the moment in lockdown. <laughs> oh, very busy, yeah. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about you being fostered, as a, a, a being a foster child. And I wondered whether you could tell me the circumstances, because you've got quite a story. Tell me the circumstances around you that meant you were being fostered. and. And and what was the relationship like with your mum leading up to the point that you ended up having to be fostered? Yeah, it's, um, well, I'm, I'm 46 now. So I, my mum was a single parent, me and my younger brother. My mum and dad divorced when I was quite young. Um, And my mum ended up getting into a violent relationship. And that went on for quite a time. So we're talking about the 1980s here. Um, not, not a great response by the police. Um, so we moved around a lot. We did have a short spell in a woman's refuge, um, you know, which wasn't very nice. So it was at that time I had my first experience of foster care just before my mum died because her partner kicked her in the stomach and forced her into early labour. So we did spend, me and my brother, did spend about two weeks in foster care. Um, And I I have to say, I do, it it sounds weird, I feel a bit guilty saying it, but I did actually think I'd gone to live in a castle for two weeks um, (laughs) because we were in a two-up, two-down. It was a massive house. I still believe it was a castle today. And they even had a little, um, it was a raised terrace, so they had a little tennis court in front garden. Um, And I got lots of cuddles, which I really needed then, because it was a stressful time. Angel delight every night. Um, And I felt felt like I was rich, Marie, because we we were quite poor, you know. we used to get a lot of second-hand clothes off the other kids in the street. Um, so I knew something was up in the back of my mind because there is that background noise there. Um, but I, I I felt special, to be honest. Well, it sounds like you, that was respite for you, for you and your brother. <clears throat> Two weeks of respite. Yeah. Do you know that that's actually 
you're spot on there. That's the that's the first time somebody's put it like that. But yeah, you are you you are spot on. It did feel like respite. Um, you know, and then we came back and things um that thing things things just got worse. Yeah. So so what what happened after that then? Um well the abuse yeah, so so we got back and it, it was the same situation and um you know th- things got quite bad. Um I was also and I, I have to say alleged because this never went to court. Um I was also being sexually abused on a regular basis. Um and th- and that was very very hard to deal with because I was also conscious that my mum was being hurt as well. And eventually, um, me, me and my brother were in the room across the hall and he um, he kind of sneaked in one morning um, and I heard my mum scream and I knew, um, I knew she was being hurt. Um, and I waited for him to leave the house and I went across to her bedroom um, and it was quite obvious that that she was dead. Um, and it's yeah, and it, it it's funny because you know obviously, um, you're only nine, um, but she she'd had a baby to him at that point. But it, where that that resilience came from, I don't know because I I knew that I had to take the baby downstairs. I checked my mum's purse. For money for the phone box, okay. left my brother with the baby, went outside, realised the phone box was just too far down the road. Um, and I went across to get a friend's mum. Um, and then after that, I was at a friend's house across the road. And I remember watching my granddad arriving at the house, police arriving. It was all over the news. Um, and I kind of felt like, it felt a bit like I was an outsider looking in then. Um, I think I'd kind of distanced myself from it. Um, so consequently, I was fostered by my mum's brother um, and, and his wife, and that's where I ended up living. My brother ended up living with my mum's sister and my young baby brother um, was adopted outside the family. Such a tragic story. I mean, it. I, I can't even begin to imagine that as a nine-year-old and and your your siblings as well. And when you and I were talking yeah. before this podcast, Vicky, um, you said to me, you used the term that you felt like a silent observer of life. And that really stuck with me. I thought, mm. yeah, silent observer of life. And I just wonder whether you could talk to that a little bit. You know, what was it really like, you know, with 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 the threat of this man in your household can you talk to that yeah yeah i think um yeah and that and that um yeah it's it it still feels like right right for me to say that because i think when when you're young sometimes you know things are wrong but you don't you don't have the vocabulary. You don't have those words to 
to describe something mm-hmm. and nobody me, me and my mum had never had a, a conversation about sex or what what was right or wrong um and It's kind of like you're there, but 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 you're not there. Because I used to feel quite distressed a lot because I knew my mum was upset, but but I just couldn't work out what I could do about it because you do have that bit of responsibility. And I think it was actually at that time, Marie, I started um, I started picking the skin at the corner of my fingers. Mm. Um, and I still do that today. Well, two of my fingers look like they've been burned. Um, but yeah, it's like you're observing because you do feel uh, like you're powerless in a way. Mm. Yeah. So when you when you you found your your mother having been murdered, mm. and you. You said that you had that resilience to know what to do to to ensure the baby was looked after by your by your brother, and then for you to go and know that it was too far to go to the phone box, so to go to the nearest mm. place you knew, which was your friend's mum, and then you were taken into foster care. What what kind of? I'm sneaking in an extra question here, Vicky, because what kind <laughs> of <laughs> what kind of support did you get for the fact that you were grieving for your your murdered mum did you in the 80s how how did that show itself for you yeah that's uh that that's such a good question Marie because that's something I've reflected on for quite a while um you know and and, and it's an area I'm quite interested in um so so first of all there was no Nobody got any counselling or anything like that. Um, from the tiny bit of knowledge I've got now, I do know that some practitioners can work with children through drawings and things like that. There, were, there was absolutely nothing like that. Um, and you've got to remember as well, our whole family was absolutely devastated. Yeah. Um, I think my granddad died just a couple of weeks later. Um, it you know it just broke his heart. Um, so we we all just got on with things, and it and I was I think I, there was definitely a bit of disassociation with me because when I first was told I was going to live with my uncle and his wife, my aunt, she she was actually my favourite aunt at the time. So I remembered going, oh, yeah, I'm so happy to be doing that, mm. um, to go and stay with my favourite aunt. So whilst we didn't get that support emotionally, um, because I was fostered, so my uncle and aunt were paid foster carers, we did have regular visits from social workers, but it felt more like a check-in thing. Because mm. when you're fostered, you do also have to go to the doctors on a regular basis. Well, you did then to check that you had no bruises and things like that. Mm. Um, and I, I'd not disclosed the abuse at that time either. Mm. So I'm not sure how well it 
I'm not sure if I would have talked to somebody at that time. I think the only thing I'll say, Mary, is that I do remember getting lots of love and cuddles off my aunt. Mm. Um, she was a very loving person. And to be honest, I didn't get a lot of that off my mum uh, before she died. It was far too stressful. And the only thing I remember drawing is um, I remember watching Bambi, you know, and there's a scene of where little Bambi loses the mum. Oh, don't. And, oh, oh, and I was just, I was so upset over it. And I remember drawing all these little pictures of Bambi. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose I, I fixated on that for a little bit. Um but I think, Marie, I imagine if the same thing happened now, we'd probably get a lot more support than what we did do. And obviously the police would react a lot differently to what they did back then in the 80s. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. So so then you moved in with your – so you were fostered and you mm. went through your – pre-teens and your teens and your post-teens mm. how, how was that for you and um and I and again we've talked before and you said you felt under scrutiny to show gratitude to your foster parents maybe in a way that uh, people with their biological parents or people at home don't mm. so just how was it for you growing up and 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 how how was it that you felt under scrutiny well, I, I suppose what one of the things. So the, the the first couple of years, I don't, I don't remember much. By all accounts, I was very very naughty, and I'm pretty sure that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, I'd do anything to get out of the washing up. That's for sure. But I've. I, I think as I started getting older, um, because my aunt and uncle did have a daughter um, who was about four years older than me. Um, and as we both got older, we both started sort of going off the rails a little bit, going out, meeting boys, drinking. And I was the kind of person um, pre-GCSE who would actually ask for extra homework. Um, I loved English. I got top marks from my English GCSE. Um, I loved writing stories, and I think there was a bit of an element of escapism in that. I used to read about four books a week. Mm. Um, But my uncle and aunt started, they just started having a bit of trouble in the marriage. He was violent, not physically violent towards me, but he did have... Um, a temper and sometimes I used to find it difficult to be around him I used Mm. to sit in my room a lot and when we both started getting in trouble it it caused a lot of arguments between them some of the members of the family had get involved but I felt in particular when I got in trouble it I always felt as though there was a different element to it as though it was like there was already this backdrop of, of them taking me in, um, of dealing with my mum's death. So it was a bit like anything I did. It just added 
to that stress. And there were times where where I felt as though when my aunt and uncle had had a row um, over me or my stepsister going out, um, it, that that's those are the times when I felt had that feeling of you you should be showing more gratitude for being taken in, and I do understand that these things happen in all families, but. I think there were two elements. Um, I think the other element was that my aunt, my aunt's mum was from India. Um, very, very close-knit family where basically the, the women did all the stuff and the men just went off and did their own thing. And I think coming from the back, that background of what happened with my mum, I... I used I used to feel as though it was quite unfair that the women did everything, right. um, how boys were treated differently in our family. And some of it will be, you know, there's cultures within families, isn't there? Um, but I felt a bit like a sponge, very sensitive to my surroundings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt different as well because I had pale skin and blue eyes. And a large part of the family were a lot darker than me. Um, so and I do, me, I do, go on, yeah. It sounds like, there's, you know, you're talking about a sense of belonging as well, because you've got your experience living with a, with a new family, whether you knew them through, through, through family or not, and then a cultural difference, you know, mm. an ethical cultural difference. So what... Was there a, a an issue with a sense of belonging for you? Definitely, yeah. You've you've really hit the nail on the head there. Um, I've, I, yeah, I always have this sense that it. I feel a bit awful saying this even now, but that there was always this sense that my. I didn't have a secure position within the family. So, for example, with my dad now, who I am in contact with, I know that, I don't know, say say if I robbed a shop and I had to do a stint in jail, I'm using an extreme example here, but I fully believe my dad would come and see me and he'd support me and things like that. Um, It always felt different growing up um, with my you know, particularly with my aunt's side of the family, um, I almost felt as though, I'm going to say disposable, and that's quite a harsh word, I think. Um, But now I don't feel that was the case, but I did feel a bit like that at the time. Yeah, but I think you're talking from the the foster child, the displaced child, in a new yes. in a new surrounding as opposed to any issue with the culture the family culture beyond your aunt so yeah 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 I th- yeah I, th- I think you really yeah yeah I think you've summarized that quite nicely I, d- I definitely I definitely felt that and I, th- I think I really struggled with that feeling for a long time and I, I think 
even now occasionally um I, I do still struggle with that sense of belonging and uh that feeling of self-worth um but yeah I think that was the crux of it Marie and do you think it would be reasonable to say that that feeling of of being displaced or or um or maybe feeling that they need to be more grateful than 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 direct children of parents yeah because they're foster do you think that's something that's 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 only with you or do you think that might be something that could be seen across a whole swathe of fostered people yeah i yeah, I mean, obviously, I can't speak for anybody else's experience, but I think this is a really, I think this is, this is quite a universal, I believe this is quite a universal feeling. Um, because there there is that, you know, that sense of belonging is so important, especially when you've, you've come from a hectic background. Mm. It, it's so, it, it's so important that, I mean, don't get me wrong, I did feel loved. But, yeah, sometimes I didn't feel as though I did belong. And I think when you are fostered as well, when it's a mix of biological children and fostered children, mm. even stuff like somebody getting three scoops of potato and you get two, even if that's by accident, <laughs> you really feel it, yeah. Right. The, the 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 trap I'm going to say of of taking things personally and taking things literally yes. when you see them and the assumptions that we make, you know, oh gosh, I remember doing that as a child anyway, and even now, you know, yeah. seeing, seeing two scoops of mashed potato instead of three and assuming that that's a, a derogatory action. Yeah. When like you've just yeah. said, it's an accident, <laughs> or they haven't of, finished. Of course. <laughs> of, of of course, that's that is. I, I can laugh. I can laugh about stuff like that now. But at the time, I think especially preteen, everything was um, very emotional. Yeah. It, it didn't take a lot to get me going and crying. Um, and of course, you know, if I felt as though things were unfair, quite quite often I'd just go go to my gran and tell her that my gran would get on the phone to me. Um, and, um, so, so yeah, sometimes it's a bit hard, you think, to, to distinguish between feelings of being fostered and, and stuff that comes up in normal families as well. Yeah. Yeah. With the overriding banner of I am, I am a fostered child, you know, which, yeah, which, and and the and the story that you've said about your your history, you know, I'm not surprised. I think you're remarkable. <laughs> Honestly, oh, I just no. you're in awe, thinking, blimey. So when we when we think about um, anybody listening to this who maybe ha- has been fostered or maybe is a foster parent or maybe is considering fostering, you know, what would be your message to them? What what have you picked up along the way that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, so, first of all, if any, you know, if anyone has been fostered or has been, and, and can resonate with, with anything I'm saying, 
Um, I know, Marie, you're going to uh, give my email address at the end. So, so please reach out and talk to me. But I, it's that, it's easy for me to say, but the message I've put out is that, is that you are enough and, and you are loved and, and you're worthy of love because, because that's what we're all made of. And just because maybe some circumstances in your life um, have been very upsetting, I would say that that is not your identity. And, and there is more to you than that. I absolutely promise you that. And I say that lightly because um, I don't want to make promises <laughs> um, if you don't feel it's relevant to you. But I feel that's really, really important. Mm. Um, and I would say to anyone who is a foster carer um, and is maybe having trouble with foster children or considering it, um, just talking and being loving is so important. It's so important. Of course, there's going to be times when kids get in trouble um, and maybe, you know, there's repercussions. We can't all just walk about and do what we want. But sometimes foster kids do need a little bit of extra TLC just for that little bit of reassurance because what you're doing is you're laying uh, loving foundations for that child to grow up in and, and that's so important yeah you mentioned that a couple of times you said that you got loads of hugs so you know it sounds like that was what that was the respite really whether you were in a castle or not it sounded like the hugs mm. you you really wanted or needed yeah yeah, de def definitely hugs, and it and it's quite sad because a lot of those relationships within the family broke down. Um, people started not getting on and finding things tough. But however things turned out, and whoever's speaking to each other or not, I can still think about that time and be so thankful um, for those hugs and that love. Yeah. And what about your brothers? Are you in contact with your brothers now? Did you follow their their foster care route? Yeah, well, my my younger brother, who was um, taken in by my mum's sister, um, she, she didn't go down the foster care route. She didn't want anything to do with social services. Um, we, we are actually very close. Um, but I would say... Uh, my baby brother, who was adopted outside the family, but but people known to the family. Um, I, I did see him a little bit when I was younger. There was that kind of calling across the street. I'm your sister. Don't you know that? But um, I don't really see that, that much of him. Um, and I'm hoping that'll change in the future. But we'll just we'll just see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I really love talking to you and I love the fact that you are now working with vulnerable people up in Yorkshire. Mm, yeah. And that you're giving back to those people who need who need that listening ear, who need the mm. non-judgment. And you kindly just said that if anybody wanted to make contact with you, they could. So I'm going to put your email in the show notes. But could you just say your email out so that people can can make a note? But like I say, it will be in the show notes as well. So 
It's VIX1, so it's V-I-C-S-1 at the curly at hotmail.co.uk. Um, and yeah, just just get in touch. I'm always happy to chat. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realisation Works. Subscribe to realisationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.